You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Well, 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 the ruler is back, and in this space, I am the ruler, Jason Jones, and this is the Ruler of the Court podcast, brought to you by the good folks, folks, excuse me, I said folks, I mean the good folks of the Basketball Podcast Network. <laughs> How you doing, everyone? Uh, happy, uh, I guess, bye week to the Super Bowl for everyone out there. Uh, Congrats, I guess, to all the Bucks and Chiefs fans. As a uh, Raider guy myself, uh, either I watch Tom Brady win another ring, is, uh, or I watch the Chiefs win another one, which is uh, uh. so. I just want a good game, and on both sides, there's only one coach I've met in person, I believe. Like, I think off the top of my head, and that's uh, Eric Bieniemy, my frat brother. So, I guess I'll. Quasi, I say I'm pulling for the Chiefs, or I'm pulling for Eric, should I say. But neither here or there. Let's get into basketball talk. And since last we chatted, the Kings have actually won a game. Ding, 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 ding. Ring the alarm. Ring the alarm. The Kings won a game. Beat the Knicks last Friday. Held the team under 100 points. And I know the Knicks offense is trash you know they don't score a lot of points i mean they're not going to try to run up the score but i can't even you know say much you know the kings won that game 103 94 and the way the kings had been defending you would have thought the Knicks were going to get you know easily get 115 but that didn't happen it was a slower game kind of and the kings were able to end their four game losing streak and due to the games in Memphis, Sunday and Monday both being postponed, the Kings don't play again till Wednesday in Orlando. You know what that means? Practice time. Yes, yes, yes. Practice time. The thing the Kings need a lot of. And they're going to get that. And clearly none of us wants to see uh, COVID-19 spread. We don't want to see anyone get sick. We don't want to see any more people lose their lives to this. And you feel for the people in Memphis who are dealing with the uh, situation now and haven't had to have even another game. They had, they had three games postponed um, before this, and then it was announced on Sunday they have another game postponed. So they're going to miss at least four games due to this. And you just hope everyone comes out of that okay, healthy, and that no one associated that either on the team or related to anyone connected to the team is 
know, gravely ill or loses their life to this. But from the King's perspective, this has, this is, I don't want to call it, say, COVID the gift or a blessing in disguise. I don't like using that term with this, but this is a team that needed practice time. They probably needed to, you know, get a break. And that's just the nature of the schedule this season. It's going to be some times where you're going to get some unexpected breaks. May, because of the team you're playing against might be dealing with issues, or you might get them because the team your team has issues. And right now the Kings are benefiting because they're gonna they were able instead of playing today they're able to get some you know rest and film time Saturday and come back and have a practice on you know on Sunday. And today as today obviously I mean Sunday is when I'm recording this and. <laughs> So they were able to get, they're going to get that. They're going to get a chance to get to Orlando early, you know, so they can have two full nights there, get a chance to adjust to the time change and things that you, something you don't normally get to do, especially this, this stage of the season, you know, get some time to rest, relax, get their bodies acclimated before they have three games in Florida and then a game in New Orleans. You know, now this six game trip is a four game trip with the first three games being in Florida. And I'll touch on some Florida stuff later, but what can the Kings get from this little break? A couple of things, like I said. One is rest. Uh, to try to end this losing streak, Luke Walton is playing his starters more minutes than normal. You see the bench minutes have declined significantly for guys like Corey Joseph. Um, Manya Bielisa is not in the rotation. Hassan Whiteside is injured, so you're not getting any minutes from him, obviously, but... The rest will be good for those heavy minute guys and just the repetition and the detail into fixing what's gone wrong this season. I think that's going to be a good thing for the Kings. It's going to be, you know, anytime they can get more work in, the better. Because as we've seen most of January, they need a lot of work on the defensive end. A lot of work. So I'm seeing this right now as this is a chance for the Kings to get this unfortunate situation and make it a positive by getting that extra work in they need work on some things mainly you know work on defense because that's where the big issue is for them we all know it the league knows it the kings know it i think probably even my children know it that the kings got to defend better so that being said we'll see what the kings do with this these you know extra few days you know, instead of having a three games and four nights situation on Wednesday, they should be well rested and ready to go against Orlando, a team they probably should want to play, given how Orlando spanked them in the NBA bubble last year to put a dent in their playoff hopes. You know, maybe some of those guys remember that, and that could be a little fuel to get them going. I mean, anything you you need or you, you can use to get motivated, I'm for it. So let's just see how that goes, but. Just looking ahead, a couple of things I wanted to look at, you know, as far as the Kings and what really makes them go. And I've been big on saying this, you know, this team needs De'Aaron Fox to be aggressive all the time. This team needs De'Aaron Fox to be that guy. And I still believe that. I know De'Aaron knows that. Everyone knows that for the Kings to be a competitive team, they need De'Aaron Fox at his best, or at least being aggressive and attacking. So, but what I want to uh, look at or examine right now is Harris, uh, De'Aaron may be the Kings' best player or the most, you know, best player, 
but perhaps the most important player is really Harrison Barnes. And, you know, hear me out on this. I don't think this is a revolutionary thinking. I don't think this is something that, you know, is shocking to people. But I really believe, you know, especially looking at the way this streak ended, but with Harrison Barnes having a good a good game is that this team really does go as Harrison goes. And, you know, he's it's you talk to guys on the team, they would tell you Harrison's a leader on, in the locker room. He's a steadying presence. He's a veteran. He does all those things you like and you need in your locker room. But the Kings need more than just the locker room from Harrison. And the numbers bear it out. And the Kings, six wins this season. Harrison Barnes is averaging 19.3 points, seven rebounds, 4.8 assists. You know, shooting 41.7% from three, 48.8% overall. And he's taking 13.7 shots a game in the wins. So he's aggressive, he's involved, he's involving teammates, he's doing a little bit of everything, and he's averaging five free throw attempts in those games. So he's getting to the line as well. So, and like I said, and that's in six wins, Harrison's averaging 19.3. Let's look at the 10 losses the Kings have had this season. And 10 losses, number one, Harrison's only shooting the ball 9.6 times a game. So less than 10 attempts in games they lose. So you're not seeing the same you know, level of aggressiveness on offense in the games they lose. Harrison shoots 46.9%, basically 47%. Not a big drop-off in his shooting percentage, but the number of shots goes down. And he averages only 13.9 points in losses. The assists go from 4.8 to 2.5. So, I mean, only one rebound difference from 7 to 6. But I think you look at the the the, the results... This team's fortunes, you know, really do hinge on Harrison. I mean, I think De'Aaron is still number one in terms of priority of guys. You need to be aggressive. But I think right now, you know, n- you know, no hyperbole, uh, Harrison Barnes is right now probably their second most important player just because he's the, he's a veteran. He's been through this more times than most of those guys. So, you count on him to know how to handle some of the tough situations they come across. You know, he's been through the playoffs. He's won the championship. So he understands, like, the level of pressure and the level of execution it takes to be an elite team. So I think you do put a lot of focus and emphasis on what Harrison's doing. And like I said, the numbers bear it out. Uh, you know, Harrison was asked about his own, you know, his uh, how he played on Friday, last Friday night. And he said, you know, his preparation didn't change. His process didn't change. Just made more shots. True, you know, no, no, definitely that 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 is part of it. You know, it's kind of one of those. Of course, yeah, he made more shots, but he also took he took the shots, and that's what the Kings really need. You know, he had twenty one points, eight rebounds, seven assists in that game to end against the Knicks to end the losing streak. So that's what they need. They need Harrison at. They need that constant aggression offensively except even if the shots aren't falling they need to know that he'll from his spot he can put pressure on the defense and that's what he did against the knicks you know he took you know no one's asking harrison to be you know a crazy volume shooter he only took 13 shots against the knicks but made two threes he was uh got to the line nine times made nine of his ten free i mean nine of nine not nine of ten made all nine of his free throws 
season high in free throws made for him. So, you know, that aggression that was there. And I mean, like I said, we harp on De'Aaron and his aggression, but Harrison really might be the second most important player in terms of setting the tone for this team. You know, the way guys play off of him. And I think Luke Walton made a good point about that. He said, essentially, Harrison's involvement in the offense is a three-pronged situation. One, the coaches have to call more stuff for Harrison to to get him involved, to get him going. Another part of it is is that Harrison has to uh, call, call for the ball more himself as well. You know, demand the ball. And I think I think a great spot for that to be is when teams are making runs and Harrison has a matchup favorable, get Harrison on the block. Harrison's the best post player right now. You know, I know you would you believe eventually Marvin Bagley is going to be that guy, but right now, in terms of trust, I think Harrison's the guy they got to go to in those situations. If they need to try to get a good look, so that would be one option I believe the Kings to look at when it comes to Harrison demanding the ball. And thirdly, he said it's on his teammates too to find him. So you you know it's a three no not I don't think one is more important than the other I think they all need to work together you do need the coaches calling stuff for him and not just out of timeouts maybe even during the game saying hey we got to get something to Harrison get HB something you know you need that you do need Harrison to be more assertive especially on this group that it's crying for someone to be that guy that can say, hey, I'll get us an easy bucket or I'll make the right decision. And like I said, thirdly, the guys around them got to play smarter. They got to play better. They got to recognize the importance of Harrison to the offense and get him the ball in spots where he can be effective. So, like I said, you know, I think Harrison very well is the real, no, not say the real key. He's a major key to what the Kings are trying to do. And so, if you want to see how the Kings are doing, you want to get an idea, just check out Harrison's numbers and you'll have an idea of how the Kings are doing. You know, in that four-game losing streak, Harrison was only averaging 9.3 points and shooting 31.4%. Yeah, and there's no way the Kings can expect to win a lot of games <laughs> if Harrison is going to uh, score like that and shoot like that. You know, but, you know, maybe this game against the Knicks is going to get Harrison back on track. Because all the games they've won, feels like Harrison's made a bigger impact and been able to kind of impose his will into the outcome of the game. So let's see if he keeps that up on the road. You know, you need your vets probably more so on the road to be steadying, even though there's no fans. uh, Well, maybe there might be some on this trip, but you know, you're not going to be, you know, because you, you are going to be in Florida and Louisiana, but we're not talking about packed houses, you know, so, so maybe the steadying part isn't as necessary, but Harrison Barnes' contribution is definitely necessary and a big part of what the Kings want to do. So, as I said, as you check out the Kings this week, check out that. If you want to get an idea how the Kings did, if Harrison Barnes had a good game, Odds are the Kings won. If he didn't, odds are they lost. Don't want to put all of it on Harrison, but can't deny there's a correlation. And now moving on from Harrison Barnes to another starting forward on the Kings, Marvin Bagley III. Uh, A lot of ways, Marvin is everyone's favorite target. (laughs) 
That's because he's Marvin. He's not Luke. You know, all the stuff, you know, Marvin's dealt with the injuries. But I'll say Marvin has, there has been a noticeable improvement in Marvin's play of late. You know, it's almost like you have to let someone 21 years old play games and get comfortable and start to find himself. You know, imagine that. Shocking, I know, right? Yeah, Marvin has, seems to have really begun to settle down and earn some fourth quarter minutes, which was a big thing, you know, early in the year. People were wondering why wasn't Marvin playing in the fourth quarter. And the fact is, this coach's staff really hadn't had Marvin. They didn't know him. So you're going to go with the guys you trust late in games. And it was four guys the Kings trusted and knew. And Tyrese Halliburton, who I think everyone on the Kings trust from almost from day one. So. But Marvin, you know, he played in the fourth against the Knicks, and he's starting to earn, you can see that he's earning more trust, and he's done that, as Luke Walton said, by doing some of the little things. You know, he didn't have, don't have any numbers, but he said Marvin probably leaves the team and charges drawn. You know, he's starting to affect the defense more, you know, blocking more shots. As he said, taking charges, rebounding, doing some of the dirty work. Just doing some of the things that you really need from a guy that athletic at that size to have an impact on winning. So Marvin in his last 11 games, is averaging 13.9 points, shooting 50, uh, 51% from the field, about 39% from three. You know, the free throws need work. It's only at 53.1 over his last 11. But he's at 8.1 rebounds, you know, 0.7 blocks, 0.9 assists. You know, th- you know those aren't, out great numbers, but you, you do like that the shooting percentages improved, the efficiencies improved, because in order for the Kings to do what they want to do offensively, they need Marvin to be able to space the floor. And if he, if he over the course of a season can be a 38, 39% shooter from three, that's, uh, you can live with that and not more, not just live with it, you'll, t- you'll love that. And that's, you know, pretty much in that Bielitsa range. You know, it's not above 40, but it's it's there where it's comparable, and it gives you the option to space the floor. And then as the teams begin to see that Marvin can make that three consistently, it creates options for him to attack off the dribble, creates options, you know, for, for his teammates. So you have to like the progress Marvin is making as, you know, in his third season, but he's 21 years old. Still, a you know, age-wise, a very young player. He'll probably be 22 in March, and even then, you know, he's still relatively young in this in this in, at this game. He's played 16 games this season, as you know, which is three more than he played all of last season. So, getting Marvin on the floor, getting him those minutes he needs, and Marvin earning those minutes, especially in the fourth quarter, is a big thing for this team's progress going forward because. Like it or not, I know people don't certainly like Marvin sometimes, or they, you know, they're still stuck on who the Kings could have drafted that year, blah, 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 whatever. Fact is, the Kings need to see what they have with Marvin. They need to get a good understanding of what he can do. You know, especially this this front office and this coaching staff, they need a larger sample size of what Marvin is. Is Marvin really just a center? You know, who's just not strong enough to play there yet? Can he really be a dynamic four-man who can also play five? The Kings want him to be, but the fact is they really don't know that yet because they haven't seen it. So now they're getting a chance to see it. They're getting a chance to get an idea of what 
no, particularly with Marvin, could be for this team going forward. So that's a good sign for the Kings. You know, something that they can look at and say, okay, we're headed in the right direction on this at least. Which is, like I said, no. This team needs all the positives they can get. You know, is Marvin perfect by any stretch? No. Does Marvin need to still improve defensively? Yeah, but he's, you know, but that's not going to happen overnight. I think he's, I think he's willing to take the challenge. No, the, uh, like I know Marvin over the last couple of years, he's extremely confident. He doesn't believe he can't do it. You know, he wants the chance to do it. And there comes some growing pain, some lumps with that. That's to be expected. We'll see how it goes, but definitely this is a been a uh, I don't think it's the best stretches of Marvin's career. I think he had a stretch at the end of his rookie year that was pretty solid as well. But just to see the steady uptick in progress is good. But we could touch on one other thing before we get off of the Kings. But as Marvin progresses, you have to look at what that means for that closing lineup. And does that mean Buddy Hield is now regressing back to uh, to a lesser role on this team? Just because um, when they closed the game on Friday, the lineup was Rashawn Holmes, Marvin Bagley, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, Harrison Barnes, and De'Aaron Fox. Some of that could be due to the to the lineup that uh, the Knicks use. If they're playing Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson together, maybe you want two bigs. Even though I think you could put Harrison on Julius Randle. But it also speaks to the fact that, you know, Buddy is still finding his way this season. You know, still shooting below 40% on the season. You know, still trying to figure, you know, he's shooting 37%, you know, on the season. 37.5% from three, which is not bad. Oh, clearly it's not bad. But, uh... Three fourths of Buddy's shots come from beyond three, and so you know you're it's gonna be hit or miss. You know he's taking a lot of he takes a lot of threes, so he by default you know he kind of you know you take enough you're gonna make some, but you can't like that efficiency. You know like I said thirty seven percent overall. You need you know you're gonna need better than that. So long as every player has ever told you before, it's a long season. So, Buddy's got time to get himself rolling, but yeah, that's a you know they're not going to be able to win you know win a lot of games with Buddy shooting like that, you know, <laughs> you know in their wins. Oddly enough, Buddy averages a little more in losses than he does in wins this season. He's only averaging overall a cool fourteen point nine, and of course, the Kings did not you know. Even though Monty McNair, the current GM, did not give or sign Buddy to this, this contract, you know, he's not, you know, you don't want to pay over $20 million for 14.9 points from a shooting guard if he's not going to be giving you that Clay Thompson elite level two-way type defense. And that's not what Buddy's going to give you. Buddy's going to try hard, but we're never, we're not going to mistake him from after Alvin Robertson <laughs> or Kawhi Leonard or Paul George out there. So you, you, you wonder if, as the shooting struggles continue, are you know is the coaching staff going to lose faith in Buddy, keeping him out there for long stretches in the fourth quarter? And we saw this last season, and I think Luke Walton took an unfair amount of heat for not playing Buddy in some of those fourth quarters. You know, but I think when now that you have Halliburton, 
people seem to, you know, you know, if you want to believe, if, if Twitter timeline is a true gauge of how, of sentiment, which it's not, you know, but you do, <laughs> you do see people saying, well, maybe Buddy shouldn't play late and it should be Tyrese and De'Aaron back there. I don't think you can throw Buddy away, you know, but I do think if Marvin progresses and you definitely need Rashawn out there for his defense, someone's not going to play in that closing lineup. And right now, it would appear to be that Buddy's going to be the odd, would be the odd man out if the, if this trend continues. So watch out for that. Be on the lookout for that. You know, because I'm pretty sure if that that does become a a, a normal thing where the backcourt is Tyrese and De'Aaron, and you and they and the Kings stick with their you know their starting front court with uh, Holmes, Bagley, and Barnes. You will start to hear the whispers of unhappiness, I believe. I do believe people will spend, you, you will see the media speculation of, is Buddy Hill on the move? Does anybody want to make a move for Buddy Hill? I think you'll see that stuff. So just keep an eye on that. I don't think it's anything to jump over, get overworked about right now. But if Marvin continues to improve and Tyrese continues to be what he's been most of his rookie season, this is going to be something that's going to come up a lot. I'm not on the you got to bench buddy, you know, train. I don't think I'm not on that train. I don't believe it. You got, you have to go to that extent at this point. I don't think buddy starting is costing them games, you know, and I don't know if you really want to take Tyrese from that second unit just yet because it, the team seems to have so much trust in him in that role. So. It's going to be interesting to see how this goes. Like, it's crazy how everyone's future is tied together. As Marvin gets better, does that, that, that impact Buddy? As Tyrese gets better, what does that mean for De'Aaron? You know, does De'Aaron play off the ball more or less? You know, there's a lot to look at. You know, so just be on the lookout for that as as a trend or something to follow as this season continues. I do this for us, stuck on the grind, trying to elevate. I'm a stand as a man, never above you. Before we get up out of here, you know, we, we got to talk about, you know, my favorite, you know, musical art form, the art of rap. And with the Kings spending a few days in Florida, I thought it would be a good day to discuss some of my favorite Florida rappers, what what Florida has meant to the hip hop scene from my point of view. And... Maybe the Kings will get into some, you know, Florida hip hop while they're down there. So I'm not going to name every Florida rapper I like. You know, I'm not, I'm, cause if I did, I'm going to miss people. But kind of want to take you back to the 80s where you know, I was young, you know, a youngster growing up in Southern California and didn't know a whole lot about stuff outside of Southern California. But I, you know, the kid began to you know, see that. The University of Miami football team was pretty good. <laughs> I got, you know, like, you know, begin to see that. And also, I began to hear about this rap group uh, called the Two Live Crew and this whole idea of censorship and the First Amendment. And there was a rap group with a song called Me So Horny. And yeah, not probably the stuff an elementary school kid needed to know were here. But the fight that the Two Live Crew had about censorship and freedom of speech and musical expression paved the way in a lot of ways for the kind of hip hop we listen to now. You know, before N.W.A. jumped out, 
and took it to another level and they got the heat of the FBI and the media and the government and all that. It was the two live crew taking a lot to who went through that battle. You know, shout out to Luther Campbell and the crew. But that was when I think of Miami hip hop or Florida hip hop. That's my first thought is the two live crew, because I said a lot of the stuff people are doing on in, you know, in songs now, even in videos and, you know, the whole notion of, you know, I don't know if you want to call it the video vixens, but just some of the stuff you see now, two live crew was doing that in the 80s. So I want to shout them out just for being, you know, like I said, trendsetters. They paved the way for a lot of people. Like I said, I don't know if my favorite group from growing up, NWA, could have been NWA if there hadn't been a two live crew. So, like I said, shout out to two live crew, Loop the Campbell and all that, paving the way for people to basically to cuss and say whatever they want on record. So, so yeah. That's where I, you know, I start with Florida. You know, you got your the, the whole slip and slide crew, Trick Daddy. You got Plies, who I guess nowadays people know him more for Instagram videos or go, or his his videos on social media. You know, he, you know, he had his, you know, his run. You've had Flo Rida, Pitbull, and all that. But I think now, undisputed, you know, the king of Florida hip hop has got to be Rick Ross. I mean. I guess I'd hear arguments with someone else. I don't think there is an argument. Just personally. I I personally believe Rick Ross is in that rarefied air where you when you start talking about the greatest to ever do it, to ever, you know, put an album out, you know, you look at, you know, just a career, uh, a catalog of work. Ross is in that space now where you say, Okay, how many just bad albums has Rick Ross put out, you know? Really can't say he's really put out just bad work, you know. I think in most most artists, you have a point where you're hot, then you fade, you know, you kind of take a turn, and you know the sound change, the vibes change, you get left behind. But Ross hasn't had that. You know, Ross is still putting out you know quality work, good work. You know, I think his flow is you know you you know is unique. It's you know it's 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 his. And he's definitely earned, you know, his his place in hip hop right now. I forgot. I should not shouldn't forget DJ Khaled, you know, in his in his role in Florida and hip hop, you know. But you know, he's clearly worked with everybody or mostly everybody who who's you know who has a name. But even with that being said, you know, Khaled's done a lot, but Rick Ross has got to be the king of Florida rap, and I just don't. Uh, yeah, if you if you want to tweet me at Mr. Underscore Jason Jones, if you want to comment on Instagram or something random at Mr. Jones LBC, tell me I'm wrong. Who am I missing from the Florida scene that I did not mention just now? You know, no, I didn't mention Trina. You know, so so hey, I, you know, I'll, t- I'll hear that, but tell me who I'm who I'm missing. If there's somebody in Florida I should be listening to that I didn't listen that I didn't mention, let me know. It's a good chance that I just you know, when I'm running out my list, they didn't come to mind. So no diss, no disrespect, nothing like that on my end. So there you have it. This week, the Kings are in Florida, except for three games at Orlando. They're going to be at at Toronto, which is actually, which is obviously in Tampa. 
<laughs> at, you know, I could say at Tampa, and they're going to be at Miami before they close up this trip next week in New Orleans. So there you have it. Kings are, by the time you listen to this, they will be still on a one-game winning streak. So enjoy that because by the time I'm back, I don't know what I'll be able to say about them. So there it is. This has been your latest edition of the Ruler of the Court podcast. I am your host, Jason Jones of The Athletic. Again, you know how to find me on social, Mr. Underscore Jason Jones on Twitter and Mr. Jones LBC on Instagram, where I've got all the Bernie memes you want and then some. You can send those to me, too. I might I might post those as well because I'm I'm corny and I find the Bernie memes hilarious. So you guys be safe out there. You be good. Catch you next time. I'm gone. <laughs>